0: Good morning everybody. Um, So uh, this is, this presentation is kind of like a glorified announcement maybe, Um, so I don't want to say it's a message or a sermon or whatever um, because I have my reasons, but um, anyway, uh, if you don't know me or if you're watching on the live stream, um, I'm Deanna Paramala and I've been on staff with GCF for four years, um, helping out kind of with whatever is needed, like every volunteer here. Um, and and uh, I'm also a school teacher. I teach English, um, literature, grammar, composition. I've I've taught those classes in the past and my heart is really with composition. So like really um, this this is kind of like a flowing out of the deepest depths of my, I have this um, on right here, yeah. Um, this is coming out of like the deepest depths of my like passion. Um, and uh, every couple months we do um, a presentation on GCF's educational resources, and this is kind of one of those presentations. Um, it just so happens that most of our educational resources are written, so I, so I thought that it would be appropriate to um, present some scriptural thoughts, some other people's thoughts, and a few of my own um, thoughts on the benefits of reading and study. So um, I'm not striving to be comprehensive, just so everyone knows I want to, um, the goal is kind of to strike curiosity to read and thereby to learn. so uh, the first, the quote up here, oh thank you guys. The quote up here is from R.C. Sproul, which is actually a book he wrote. It's called Everyone's a Theologian. Um, and I've not read the book, oops. Um, but uh, I know his thesis. His thesis is that um, it, this isn't just like an encouraging thought, like you can read too, it's, it, you know, you can be a theologian. It's, it's a fact that everyone, is a theologian, his point is just that we're either a bad theologian or a good theologian. So that's the thesis of the book. Um, Maybe someday I'll read it. That's not a good place to start. Anyway, um, so uh, this next slide is about our purpose. Why should we read the scriptures and why should we read other Christian resources? So if you have a bulletin, um, there was printed uh, the GCF foundational book list. And I don't have one of those in front of me right now, but I think I have it memorized. Um, There should be 12 books on there. And the idea is that you would be reading, you could read, and perhaps we should read about one book a month. And the idea is that you could get through this book list in a year some of our discipleship groups are um, focusing on and reading these, some of these books together. And the idea is that they're on um, really important Christian uh, topics. Um, that's why it's called foundational. Um, and from this list, you can get a basic idea of um, the major themes in the Bible. There's the book called God's Big Picture. That's really important. Um, so you can actually start reading the Bible. Super important. Uh, There's a book on church membership, it should be. It's about ecclesiology. starting off on what is the church. There's a book on eschatology on there. Um, There's a book on forgiveness and inner healing. So all of the really, really super basic, like, gosh, if we could try to boil it down, that's what we've tried to do. Um, So on the back of that sheet is uh, uh, something called the Further Reading on Eight Other Topics book list. And um, basically, once you've made it through the foundational book list, and uh, hopefully you should be kind of asking yourself, uh, how can I learn more about each of these? But maybe there's something that the Lord is particularly speaking to you, like you read um, the gospel book on the foundational book list, and you're like, wow, I really don't understand the gospel. So on that back side of the page, you have more options for gospel books. Um, so you can explore that list, etc. cetera. Um, that's not even a comprehensive list. I, I hope in this, um, in this presentation to say that there's so much out there to discover, that it's a lifelong journey, and this is just a, a good starting place if you're having trouble. That's why there's etc. up here, yeah. All right, so why godly curiosity in reading? because God offers us the opportunity of a lifetime. And um, our God doesn't just say, you're the answer, go for it, have fun, figure it out. In a sense, yes, because we have to discover, but it's written for us, and it's super exciting. We don't have to reinvent the wheel, because God already invented it, and, um, and he's given us that blueprint. So it's super exciting. Um, The question really comes down to not not whether we have what we need, but if we're willing to, if we're willing to read, if we're willing to discover. So because we live in a world of sin, there are common hindrances to, uh, to getting started. So uh, one of those common hindrances is feeling overwhelmed, especially on the first read-through of the Bible.
1: It's really hard.
0: <laughs> Sometimes we can feel overwhelmed, and uh, and I don't think any of us are unaware that there's a battle going on, like spiritually, like every day. <laughs> yeah, so um, so it's really easy to, to feel overwhelmed. The Bible is a large book. Um, or maybe you're confused because you started in Genesis and you're really excited. I'm gonna read the Bible, and then Leviticus, you're like, "What? <laughs> Help me, Lord." Um, <laughs> you know, maybe you can't fit that into you know what you're what you're going for. I, you know, it, it's it can get confusing. So. Um, You know, I think the reason is that there is a battle going on um, and it's every day and it's unrelentless. And um, if you're in that position, um, pray and ask God for a godly curiosity. Um, And talk with other people and and talk through what you're reading because that can be really helpful. Another hindrance, um, I struggle with this one. For those of us who have grown up and know the Bible, right? (laughs) Maybe. Um, Sometimes we can be a little bit bored, like, oh yeah, I've read this before. I know this part. I know this story. Yeah, familiar. I know that. Um, So that attitude, you know, you have some recognition of like some facts and then a general disinterest in what you're reading. So, Whenever I have that thought now, this, like, big, like, red light, you know, repent! (laughs) (laughs) Your pride is taking over your life. Yeah, so um, I find this verse to be really helpful from from Luke uh, 3.8. This was John the Baptist, and and he's speaking to the Pharisees, and this mindset is very Pharisaical. Um, So if we have that attitude, please, please keep this in mind. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. I think this verse is really helpful for kind of both sides of the equations. If you've been raised in the church and you think, you know, oh, I have this great spiritual heritage. Abraham is my father. I'm good to go. I know the Bible, you know. And then there's the other uh, hopeful end if you're reading through the Bible for the first time. God is able <laughs> from, these, uh, from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. So um, I wanted to say something about that. Um, so... Let's start with the bad news. Um, If y'all are familiar with Gary North, um, or if you're unfamiliar, he is a Christian economic historian who has spent over 50 years observing evangelical Christian culture and commenting on it. He wrote this article that Anvesh sent me like a month ago, and I only got to reading it last week, and I thought, wow, this will help a lot with what I'm talking about today. So um, I'm going to read a couple quotes uh, throughout this presentation. Here's the first one, the bad news. It is not sufficient to announce that the prevailing establishment world of scholarship, literature, and academic uh, hierarchies is intellectually bankrupt, even when the accusation is true. You also have to be able to offer a consistent alternative. When you see that the ship you are on is sinking, you had better be able to provide a lifeboat. Protestant evangelicalism offers no lifeboat. It does not even have blueprints for such a lifeboat. It distributes a series of untested life preservers. It's every man for himself. The water is close to freezing. Death through hypothermia beckons. Yeah, really heavy place to start, for sure. Um, So from this uh, quote, I kind of want to talk about reading. Reading is not just something that's beneficial. We could talk all day about the scientific benefits of reading, like proper brain functioning, uh, development and logical thinking, uh, understanding others' perspectives, overall success in life. Uh, Leaders are readers. Readers are leaders. Has anybody heard that? No? Yeah, okay. All right. It's true. All these things are good, and all these things are true because they're deeply connected with our being made in the image of God. The reason there are so many benefits to reading is because... God created us with the need to know, to learn, and to read. Ultimately, our purpose is to know Christ and to make him known. Jessica Venegas has been saying that ever since this past year. That's her thing. And this knowing begins with words, with reading. Oh, you thought we were done. More bad news. Oh, so uh, Gary North uses this phrase intellectual schizophrenia, which I really like because um, we're all caught in this. Um, and this idea, to put some, some uh, words to it, is my personal life, my church life, my school life, my social life are all disconnected. The Bible doesn't inform my college classes, the way I treat my parents, relationships, etc., or my vocation. Um, it's the idea that you you are taught and you think a certain way and act a certain way at church, and then you think a certain way and act a certain way at school, and at your job, and it's all disconnected, and it's um, the source is um, intellectual schizophrenia. This idea that we can't we can't connect everything together under the word of God. Um, so, and again, Gary North. Um, He's pretty old, he's in his 80s now. He's, uh, he's seen a lot. <laughs> he uh, talked a lot about bookstores in his, in his day, in the, the, the 60s, that were just unhelpful, and I don't know if it's, it's probably gotten a little bit better since then, but. Um, so, the concluding point here is that education and knowledge is not neutral, not neutral. We are not neutral, our culture is not neutral, education is not neutral. Uh, We and our kids will be educated either by the lies of the world or educated by God's truth. And we have to be intentional about this. This doesn't happen by accident. Godly education does not happen by accident. And godly education affects all areas of our lives. So I was talking to a a Wright State student years ago. Um, We had some ongoing Bible studies for for a little while. Uh, She was raised in a Christian home, and and I brought up this idea of like, you know, it's really important to like know these things so we can like teach others, teach our kids, because like, you know, otherwise, they're just gonna appropriate the lies of the world, right? And it was a completely novel thought for her. She'd never thought of it, and I was really scared. (laughs) But you know what? I didn't think about it until I was about 19, actually. Um, but and and what was even scarier is she wasn't convinced after a conversation, wasn't convinced. So um, I'm like, wow, this is this is a real problem. So um, let's talk about more bad news. No, um, okay. So uh, let's address this. So um, I referred to when I was nineteen. Um, I, I read some scriptures, especially the proverbs that really struck the fear of God into me because <laughs> um, there's this word, uh, oftentimes it's translated simple or simple-minded. Um, it could also be translated, I found out, innocent, bless you, naive, um, or um, gullible. And um, as a 19-year-old, I was kind of okay with being clueless about a lot of things. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm young, I'm dumb, whatever. But like. It, we can't afford to be clueless about God's word. So here are some, some uh, really helpful proverbs um, about this. Proverbs fourteen fifteen. The simple, or the naive, believes everything, but the prudent gives thoughts to his steps. Um, we talk about re- reading, reading into things or reading the reverse negative. It's not good to believe everything. It's not good. Proverbs one twenty two. How long, O simple ones or gullible ones, will you love being gullible? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Um, If you're familiar with the, the Proverbs, foolishness is involved with wickedness, right? How long, wicked people, will you hate knowledge? Yikes. Proverbs 22, three, the prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple or the naive or the gullible go on and suffer for it. And uh, Proverbs 27, 12 says the same, it's pretty much verbatim word for word as this song, proverb. Um, and again, this is, this is Gary North's hypothesis uh, or observation, not hypothesis. Um, that evangelical Christians are really suffering because of a lack of knowledge. Um, and, and it's hurting us, and it's hurting our kids, and it's, it's been going on for several generations now, uh, particularly in the United States. So, you thought it was bad? It gets worse. Oh, man, this one, these two are like, this is what got me really scared. I posted all these up on my bedroom wall back when I was living with the greys. I was like, Lord, help me. Proverbs 1.32, for the simple or the naive are kind of worse off than the rest of the world. Yeah, right. Killed. This is a matter of life and death. And the complacency, that's a really important word, of fools destroys them. We can't afford to be complacent. Hosea 4.6 has to do with, um, I like this one because it, it kind of talks about the whole church. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being priest to me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. Super important. Then the good news. Psalm 119, 160. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous judgments is everlasting. We have God's word, and the sum of his word is truth, which means we have a lot to discover. And Deuteronomy 5.33 shows the promise. You shall walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, so know it and do it, that you may live and that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Awesome. Awesome promise. So, begin with the Bible, right? This is another quote from that same essay. In the early 1950s, there was some vague, oh I didn't get, get my notes here. Christian evangelicals had some vague commitment to the idea that there should be a relationship between intellectual pursuits and the Bible but there was nothing self-conscious about starting with the Bible as the criterion for evaluating both the categories and content of humanistic thought, ancient and modern. I'm really excited because Catherine has uh, said that she's gonna do a presentation on the Enlightenment. Yes, these go go hand in hand. I wish I could talk more on that, but you know what? She's got it way better than me, way better. Um, So uh, start with the Bible, right? We have a helpful verse from 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes, becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So from this, we know that God chose men, people, to write his words down, written words, and they were inspired by the Holy Spirit so that those words could be read by others, Reading. We have access to the very words of God, and this impacts every aspect of our lives. Thank you, Lord, I'm doing good on time. I was really nervous. All right. So, begin asking the right questions, right? I think if you've been coming here for like more than three weeks, you know that, right? But what are the right questions? I think this one is the most helpful question at the top. Um, Where do we get the model or the pattern for... Fill in the blank in scripture. Um, this is uh, Greg's bandwagon for sure, and I, I hopped on. <laughs> um, this is so helpful to be able to organize our thoughts. So uh, first of all, um, I stole this list from, it's in, inspired by John Calvin. I think it's, it's been modified a little bit, uh, but it's basically boiled down to the seven institutions of government. It's what these are referred to. So first of all, self-government. This includes personal disciplines, habits, ways you relate to other people. Um, Where do I or we get the pattern for self-government in the scripture? This is not necessarily a rhetorical question, but I, I hope that you'll have this question as you're studying. Where do we get the model for family in scripture? This would include roles, husband, wife, Father, mother, child, children. Where do we get our house rules in the scripture? How do we know how to pass things on to the next generation in the scriptures? Where do we get the model or the pattern for church in the scriptures? For loving and serving one another. For our church services, how they're run. For our leadership and how how, uh, leaders work together. Or not. I mean, just think about it, right? <laughs> um, where do we get the model or the pattern for education systems in Scripture? Um, this could include every academic discipline that you could think of—philosophy, uh, worldview, art, sciences, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I love how, no matter what your vocation is, you can get some awesome things out of the Scripture, and and just like. That's really special for your own vocation. Speaking of which, um, where do we get the model or the pattern for vocation, or or our finances, or our economics, um, and how we view that? This could in, should include our calling, our stewardship, tithing, giving, saving, um, saving for the next generation. Super important. Where do we get the model or the pattern for media in scripture? And um, I'm sure I'm missing something, some really important things on this, but the way I perceive media, I'm looking at Teresa, <laughs> is like like communication, like between um, peers, between uh, people groups, between nations. Um, and then also, uh, I think media has a lot to do with um, with fighting for justice, for, for speaking up for the, the justice for the poor and the oppressed, um, widows, orphans, etc. Of course, there's a ton in Scripture about that. Um, where do we get the model and the pattern for civil government in Scripture? This would include um, how we treat uh, our local leaders, governors, president, or king, um, and how we get involved in ourselves. Elections, yes, our participation in elections. Very important, I should have included that. Um, I didn't include this quote on the screen, I took it off because I thought I didn't have time, but another point that Gary North makes is, Christian evangelicals have insisted that the Bible does not deal with issues outside of the soul, the family, and the institutional church. Um, So that's the first three, which are very important. Think about the last four. I don't, think, um, I don't think those are emphasized as much um, in the church today. Okay. So, we move to godly curiosity in reading the Bible. So, thank you, Lord. Okay, um, so I can go into this more. So, um... The Pentateuch is full, the first five books of the Bible, is full of commands and what I like to call house rules. Um, I think commands, uh, sometimes in our mind, it's like oh God told me this so I guess I better do this. Like These are house rules. This is how a house should operate and if if we're operating under these laws it's going to go well for us. (laughs) Um, So I really like like the expression house rules. Um, uh, It's like it's like this, this section and, and other sections of the scripture are like a manual, like instructions uh, for building the temple, tabernacle, and instructions for living. Um, I said this in, in a Bible study years ago that Jesse inspired me to do. <laughs> um, about. It was called Godly Curiosity in the scriptures. And um, because the Bible is full of these different genres, sometimes we can get bogged down because we have this modern idea that like when we pick up reading, it's gonna be like, we're gonna be there in the moment and we're gonna like, it's gonna be exciting. It's gonna be, you know, and then we open and start reading about like sheep and cattle and, and you know, like kind of awkward stuff to mention and, like skin diseases and like, how it's like, what? Okay, so I, I think sometimes we might look at that and be like, well, that's not that exciting. Uh, truth be told, I'm excited about this those parts of the scripture now, but when I was getting started, not not so much. and I think this is a helpful um, it was helpful for me to think about it's like a manual. like for your car, <clears throat> I don't read my car's manual front to cover to cover personally. Does anybody do that here? Just out of curiosity. Yeah oh wow, guys. Okay, good for you. Um, you'll know more about your car when it breaks down. I have a mechanic. I go, you know. But when a light comes on and I don't know what it is, who was in my car when that happened? That was that was Jesse. Wow, you're coming up a lot in the, Okay, so a random light popped on and we're like, uh, okay, get out the manual. So I feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm not gonna like pleasure read my my manual over the weekend, right? But I need to know it. Like it's gonna be super helpful. So I feel like that's kind of a way to view these types of scriptures, like, like it's, it's essential, it's helpful, we need to know it. Um, and it's not going to be as riveting maybe at first as the, the parables maybe that, you know, that Jesus was teaching or like, you know, the story where you're there, you're in the action, like, you know, Ehud, you know. But it's, it's probably not going to be like that at first, but they're, they're essential. God, God cared so much about us that he gave us these house rules and it's our, our responsibility to study them. Um, genealogies, and the inventory or genealogies is another tough genre um, to get through sometimes. But overall, God cares, right? God cares about our generations, and He names them. Can you, like, just think about how many names in the Scripture that don't have any, they're not anywhere else in the Scripture, they're just listed in genealogies. How cool. How cool. So, um, then there's, of course, narratives and stories This includes fiction and non-fiction. Fiction meaning like parables and stuff like that. Non-fiction being a lot of the rest of it. There's genres of including mystery. How the gospel was revealed. Have you ever thought of that? Uh, Galatians 3. Uh, The mystery of the gospel has now been revealed. There's drama. All sorts of drama. Um, Let's see. Yeah, Jezebel, that's a good one. Being thrown out the window, yeah. That, that's, that's lots of fun. Um, I always think of, like, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Like, that time, like, ooh, family dynamics, man. Wow. Um, especially with Jacob. Lots of drama. There's also the drama throughout the scriptures of Jesus and Satan. Back and forth, and Jesus wins every time. There's horror. Judges 19, anybody? Genesis 19, anybody? Why is it about 19? I don't know. There's tragedy. Cain killing Abel is probably uh, the first tragedy. Well, no, the fall, and then Cain killing Abel. Um, Christ whom you crucified, that's a tragedy. There's comedy. Talking donkeys. and somebody like gets strung up by his hair when he's trying to like win a military victory. That's awkward. What? (laughs) It's not very funny. I think it's hilarious. I have a twisted sense of humor. I got it from someone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And I always think Philemon is hilarious. The book of Philemon, Paul is like, you you really don't owe me anything, and you know, just do it for the sake of the gospel. But you know, I did help you here. And you know, I'm like a spiritual advisor in planning churches, but you know, just do what you want, do what the Lord says. It's so funny. I love that one. Uh, Philippians 3:15 is also a personal favorite where he's like. Um, you know, do these things and it'll be well kind of thing. And then he's like, but if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. He's like, you know, you're not convinced now. If you disagree with me, God will convince you, (laughs) because I'm right. I just, I think that's so funny. Anyway, uh, other genres, poetry. There's praise, there's wisdom literature, there's laments, there's love, there's national poetry. Um, and often these are set to music. There's prophetic and apocalyptic uh, uh, literature genres. And um, I like to note, compare it with fantasy, and that's not to say that, that Revelation, Isaiah, um, Ezekiel, it's not to say that, they're, that they are fantasy, it's to say that it, it engages our imaginations, right? So, um, And, you know, when Jesus said, I am the door, he didn't expect us to think that he was like a piece of wood or metal, right? That's my easiest example. Okay, so uh, imaginations with prophetic literature. There are also letters, many letters from one person to another. So all these are different genres, and I think we should kind of know that and expect that, um, that they're going to be a little bit different when we read. So... When reading. Um, The first one on here, these are just some tips of um, how to read um, and how to get a lot out of our reading. the first one up here is determined not to pick favorites, and I, I would say at least initially. Of course, you know, we have our life verses, we have our, our favorite verses that we love to, to read and are a great comfort to us, because the Holy Spirit has spoken specifically through those scriptures, it's awesome. But as far as cultivating godly curiosity, um, to pick favorites kind of stifles things sometimes, like, oh, you know, when I'm in need of comfort, I go to this, I go to this one scripture every time, you know? Like, explore explore there are tons of scriptures that are that are of comfort to us um so try not to pick favorites uh for bible verses books topics christian authors etc like broaden our horizons um so uh kind of determined to make everything all of it your favorite um i have a little anecdote in um before 8th grade i really hated history and now i'm like how can a christian hate history like i don't I don't get that. Um, but I really did. I really hated history. And in eighth grade, I just decided, I don't know if like I talked to my parents, I, I don't know, but I just decided. I you oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe you encouraged me too, who knows. Um, I just decided in eighth grade that I was gonna love history. And what do you know? That year, I loved history. So like you know, when we decide in our hearts, I'm gonna love this, I think it, it helps a lot. Now, I also, um, also decided that I was going to take engineering and physics, you know, at least I tried. I tried them. Not so much. I don't like those subjects very much, but at least we try, right? Okay, second of all, um, practice discerning the difference between major and minor themes or doctrines. Um, and a good litmus test is, do the, did the majority of scholars agree, Christian scholars agree, about the idea or topic or not? Um, I will read Philippians 2, verses 1 and 2. Um, actually, just verse 2, because that's all I have on my, on my page. Complete my joy, Paul says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Um, and, of course, John uh, 17 is part of the high priestly prayer where Jesus is praying for all of them to be one, as, as uh, he says, as I and the Father are one. Um, so there should be uh, a classic example that gets thrown around a lot is like um, how we do baptism, you know, water baptism, sprinkle, dunk, Okay, um, how we do communion, sometimes that's a little bit more debated. But like, you know, get, get an idea for, for what's major themes and what's, and what's not, what's minor themes. And minor themes are important, but um, not something to fight over too much. Okay, uh, and then third, appreciate what you might not fully understand without neglecting the study of it. So, um, because this congregation is, is mostly young people, myself included, um, I think young people have a, a great tendency to have our worldview about this big, and if anything doesn't fit in there, we're like, I'll reject that, you know? And John Gray talks a lot about this, right? Like, <laughs> like you know, we have the way that we think, the way we were raised, whatever. And, um, and when we come across something in scripture, or, or brought up by a, another uh, Christian scholar or, um, or even a, a Christian friend, um, appreciate what you might not fully understand. And don't neglect, especially the scriptural study of it. Um, my classic example is Judges 11. Um, this is the story of Jephthah, I read this story first probably in high school, maybe before it. I don't know, it helps to have your mom here. You probably, you might have read it to me before then. Um, but anyway, um, and in high school I was, I hated this story. I just, it completely rubbed me the wrong way. Um, if, if you're unfamiliar, the story of that he's one of the judges of, of Israel and he's, um, he's out to fight a military battle and he promises, he makes a vow to the Lord um, and says, the first, if I win this battle, the first thing that I see when I come home, I'm going to sacrifice to you as a burnt offering. The, the scripture is very clear, as a burnt offering. <clears throat> yeah, the first, thing, the first thing that comes out of my house. Like, who's, who says that? Who's going to greet you when you come home? A sheep? Okay. I don't know, crazy. So, um, so lo and behold, he, he wins the battle, praise God. He comes home and his daughter greets him. He's like, oh man. So, and then the story ends by, you know, longer story, but the story ends by saying, and he did what he vowed to the Lord to do. And you're like, what? Does God approve of child sacrifice? Does he approve of burning people to death? Can anybody answer that? No. How do we know that? Yeah, he said it right. Back back to the Pentateuch. There's there's and elsewhere. Um, do not pass your children through the fire to gods. Don't do it. Um, and so, <clears throat> in our modern minds, we're like, Oh my gosh, what is God doing here? <clears throat> but did you know? <clears throat> that's not the point of the story. First of all, Judges was in a, in a free fall morally. That was a time that was a lot like our culture today. People did whatever they wanted to, what was right in their own eyes, and paid no attention to the Lord. Little attention, rather, except for if they were in a, in a trouble uh, troubled spot. So... Um, I hope nobody takes judges as an example for their life. <laughs> it's like, this is what not to do. Um, so, for, that's first of all. Second of all, um, I read this second time, really confused, uncomfortable. I read it the third time, really confused, uncomfortable. I think it was the fourth time that I read it, and I'm like, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit was there with me, and like, Deanna, here's a drop of knowledge. So, the proper takeaway. The victory of the battle came at the cost of the sacrifice of the father's beloved and willing child, right? That's the point. And if, you know, and, you know, I'm not, I don't think that we should justify anything else about it. I don't think, but that's the point. And so I love that example because, you know, it's a picture of God, the father and his willing son, Jesus Christ, who won the ultimate battle. Super cool. Um, and sad because, because it's Judges. So, last tip, I'm sure I got this one from you, Mom. All right, read out loud. Okay, we don't have to raise hands, but I think all of us might have, at one point in time, fallen asleep while reading the scriptures, maybe. (laughs) Okay, so it's real, right? Um, And it's okay to admit that. You know what, though? I've never fallen asleep when I read out loud. Just throwing that out there. Um, So much of the Bible was read after it was written down in order to communicate the message to the people of God. Uh, We remember Moses spoke the law that God gave him. He read it to the people. Ezra read the law again when the second temple was being built, or after somewhere in there. The prophets proclaimed messages to Israel's leaders and people, and they wrote them down. Uh, Jesus taught the crowds and his disciples, and and they were written down. Paul's letters uh, were written down and read out loud in various churches, and that's where I love this scripture because it has read three times. So Paul says in Colossians 4.16, and when this letter, the letter to the Colossians, has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Cool. Um, please read with expression and appropriate pauses and with expectation. Um, I don't think, I, my heart, hurts when, when people read stuff like like Romans 7, 24. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I'm sorry, did that speak to you? Who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, I can imagine, like, Paul is talking about the struggle between sin and, and like, following the Spirit, and, and I just kind of imagine him in my... Weird imagination, like kind of like throwing the pen or the quill across the room or something and being like, who will deliver me from this body of death? Like, And then, of course, we know that, thanks be to God. Christ died, you know, and it goes on. So um, another one, you know, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. It has feeling. Um, Thankfully, that psalm ends on a positive note, too. And then uh, one of my favorites, can't say this without a smile. Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. Awesome. So um, I encourage you, uh, maybe even read out loud and record yourself uh, reading out loud so you can, you can read it out loud for yourself, listen to it later if you're you know, doing the dishes or have a janitor's job like I used to, um, long car rides. Um, I'm with you, John-Luke, I'm with you. Um, So anyway, uh, or have people read out loud to you if you know an especially good reader. Um, But if you read out loud yourself, I feel like you can kind of connect more with the emotions of it. So, where to start? Another quote from Gary North. The fundamentalist world has never had an academic intellectual tradition. The evangelicals, sometimes called neo-evangelicals, have no extensive body of books and journal literature. Um, Again, just an observation. So that's why, again, I point our attention to that foundational book list and that eight other topics book list. Does everyone know that the GCF book ministry is located down these steps, take a right at the bottom of the steps, and then the first room on your left, it's like right here. That's where the book ministry is. There are books that, uh, and Noelle runs that if you have any questions. Noelle Noelle Leopold. Yeah, (laughs) She runs that, so if you have any questions. And there are stickers on there that have a, um, a suggested donation price. You don't need to, but if you decide to donate it, you can write a check or or cash or whatever, put it in an envelope and put it in the offering. Um, So, um, and if, if, I'm sorry, label it as GCF Book Ministry, not the check, the envelope, exactly. Oh, can you get that, thank you. Okay, Um, so again, this is just a starting place. There's a whole library down there. Oh, hello. Uh, So please explore that and, um, and take your time down there. So here's our conclusion. God's movement of world restoration through his church depends on his people reading and studying to discover Christ's blueprint and pattern for everything. And we will end on a positive note Jeremiah 29, not 11, 29, 13 and 14. (laughs) You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Thank you, Lord. I just feel like praying. (laughs) Lord, um, we ask that you would help us in this journey. Um, We ask that you would help us every day to to continue that Bible plan, to continue reading your word, to continue um, discovering more things about uh, in books um, and read articles about um, all these wonderful things that you've called us to, And give us a godly curiosity in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.